Welcome to the Christ Community Church Podcast. This teaching was recorded live during our weekend service in St. Charles, Illinois. We invite you to join us in person any weekend in St. Charles, DeKalb, Aurora, or Streamwood. Learn more at ccclife.org. And now, enjoy the message. Good morning, Christ Community Church. You guys warm yet? Yeah, I think we're going to warm them up as we go, Chris. I hope, I hope so. Yeah, I am so glad you joined us live or online to uh, witness this interview, this Inspiring Stories interview, and I think you are going to be inspired. And Chris, I'm going to jump right into the deep end of this thing. We know from the video we, we watched that you remove tattoos from ex-gang members, but I'm curious, let's go all the way back to the start. How did you get interested in gangs to begin with? Like, were you part of a gang growing up? No, I was never part of a gang, but all my friends were. A lot of my friends were Bloods in Los Angeles, and... Uh, Growing up, unfortunately, I lost 17 of my friends to that violence in L.A., you know, growing up through the 80s and 90s, the L.A. riots and all that. Um, But, you know, with those guys, you know, despite the the bad part of their life, they they taught me a lot about life. And uh, it was a scary time, scary way to grow up, but some of my best friends. Yeah, it's a community, isn't it? When when you're part of the gang, family and... Yeah, I mean, that's, that's what they sell, right? And then a lot of them find out later on that that's not really the case. But these guys were like brothers to me. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, they yeah. Tell us about one of those guys, a friend that you lost, Dante. Yeah, Dante was a blood. Um, he was uh, from a very young age. I think he, he entered the gang when he was like eight or nine. It was a, a multi-generational thing with his family. His dad was in the gang, and his grandfather was one of the... OG, he's one of the originators of the gang. Um, but he went to jail for crimes that he pled guilty to, and he did two years in the L.A. corrections facility, the Twin Towers. And uh, I went to visit him a few times while he was locked up, and he started telling me these things about how his life was changing inside. You know, he got his GED, and um, he wanted to leave the gang life in, in lieu of something better. Um, and he found Christ while he was locked up, and he got baptized in jail. It was with that, huh? <laughs> yeah, and, uh, you know, he, he got out of jail, and we threw a party for him at his mom's place, and, and uh, he was telling us all day about how great Jesus was, and we were like, man, what are you talking about, you know? And this was something that was so foreign to all of us at that time, and um, unfortunately, that night at 11.47 p.m., we were out front kind of saying our goodbyes, going home, and a uh, silver Chevy Tahoe came creeping down the street with its headlights cut out, passenger window rolled down. Um, it was a couple of Crips from Grape Street, shouted out Dante's street name, shot him once in the chest with a buckshot from a 12-gauge shotgun, and um, he basically bled to death in me and my friend's arms that night. And uh, But he planted a seed that night, that day, talking about Jesus and uh you know, it wouldn't take root till years later, but he definitely was the one that planted that seed in my heart. My goodness. But you were right there. Yeah. You were, okay. I was three feet away from him when he got hit. Okay. And, and other times too, I mean, there were several times, you know, I look back on that time period of my life where there were so many times where it could have been me. Yeah. And, you know, that, uh, you know, years later when Jesus came into my life, when I invited him in, um, he showed me all those times and where he was, and, and that I'm here for a purpose. Wow. Uh, so you decided to get away from 
all that violence in L.A. So you moved to Chicago, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> where there where there are only I've read 625 gangs in, yeah. in the city. Yeah. But but you didn't move to the city. You moved out to Oswego, yeah, and uh, and started suburban life. But you carried some trouble with you. I mean, there was there was some dark depression going on in your life in those days. Yeah, big time. I mean, I, we moved our family. My wife Lisa and I moved our three kids from from LA to Oswego, we we call it, you know, moving from Mayhem to Mayberry, because <laughs> it's really what it was. But, you know, yeah, I, I was deeply depressed, uh, depression, anxiety, and PTSD. And, you know, when I was younger, when my dad was still in my life, he would always say, oh, you know, counseling's for women, you know, we don't do that, suck it up, be a man kind of thing, and all those lies. And, uh, yeah, it, it, it took so a you're, deep you're- toll. So it, it was time for you to do some counseling. Is Big what time. Okay, so you got the, the PTSD going on from the trauma of yeah. witnessing all that violence. Uh, you got you lost a job about that time. I did. Okay. Yeah, I was a logistics project manager for a Fortune 100 company, and I'd worked there for 20 years. Um, and you know, with a GED, I just worked myself to death to attain success within the company, and then I ended up getting laid off. And uh, because I only had a GED, I couldn't find any job that paid nearly what I was making doing that. And we were losing our house. I had a car repossessed. Like all the things that I used to put value in were going away. Wow. Were being taken away. Yeah. So this was a very troubled time in your life. You decide to go to counseling, your wife's advice. Yeah. Okay, so you got to tell us about your counselor, a woman named Joan, <laughs> yeah. and, and how she ended your first appointment together. Yeah, Joan Guest uh, was a, an amazing counselor, God rest her soul, but uh, she uh, was a counselor at the Samaritan Interfaith Counseling Center in Naperville. And when I kept hearing this recommendation of her name in this place, I would roll my eyes and be like, man, we don't do church stuff, you know? But so many friends recommended her that we're like, let's check it out. So we made an appointment. We went in. It was a Saturday morning. And we walk in. Joan comes out to greet Lisa and I. And she looked like the church lady from Saturday Night Live. <laughs> yeah, like dead ringer. Could have played that role perfectly. You know, we go into her office. She's got the cat posters on the wall, the whole deal. Quilts. And, uh, and but she was incredible. Uh, Joan was absolutely incredible and a, a key part of our lives. She um, just listened to us. It was like having a conversation with your favorite aunt that you haven't talked to in a while, you know? And at the end of it, we made an appointment for the following Saturday to really kind of dig in and start working on things. And I was grabbing my sweatshirt to kind of sneak out before she started to pray for us. And she said, oh, Chris, hang on. I like to offer to pray for my clients before we head out. And I kind of rolled my eyes. Lisa was sitting next to me. And and I said, you know, Joan, if you think it is going to work, go ahead. And I was very arrogant at the time. Um, but she did. She started to pray. And, you know, I, we're sitting like this. Lisa's right next to me. Joan's across from us. And Joan starts to pray for us. And it was incredible. It was different than any other prayer I'd ever heard. I, I grew up in a Catholic household. And uh, Joan was praying for us to be open to new ways of listening, new ways of communicating with each other, um, and just to, to really get closer in our communication. And as she was praying, I'm sitting there with my eyes closed because my grandma always used to say, if you don't close your eyes during prayer, it doesn't count. 
<laughs> so I'm sitting there and Joan's praying for us. And I, I had a physical kind of feeling take over. It's like when you take a fleece blanket out of the dryer on a really cold day and it's warm and soft and it just feels good. I felt like somebody was draping that blanket over my shoulder. And then a thought populated my, my mind. It wasn't a voice per se, but it was just follow me and this will be okay. Stop wow. running away. I'm right here. Follow me and this will be okay. And I started just, I broke down harder than I've ever broken down in my life, sobbing. And um, that was the moment that I knew he was real and he was here and he wanted me to open up to him. Wow. Wow. Just an aside here. Okay. Just follow me. That's what he heard Jesus say. So as you listen to Chris's story, some of us are going to say, well, I was never in a position like Chris. I mean, my, my life had never gotten that bad. I, I didn't see friends killed in, in front of my eyes. I didn't have, you had a dad walk out on you when you, when you were young. Yeah. I, you know, I've never been through all of that trauma. But the, you know, the, the biggest sin in our lives is to say no to the leader of our lives, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and so when he says just follow me. You got a decision to make. Are you going to follow or not? Right. And so you decided at that point to surrender your life to Christ. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I went to church the next morning. I was excited about it. <laughs> and um, six months later, I was on top of a mountain in Haiti helping them build a church. It was <laughs> like this. I mean, you talk about a 180. Yeah. It was immediate, quick, and just deep healing started right away. Wow. Wow, that's what happens when you surrender. Hey, do us a favor because, so I, I said a moment ago here, when Jesus says follow, you follow. But what does that look like? What did, what did you pray? Or what, you know, I want to ask on behalf of those who've never made that decision and they're wondering what kind of hocus pocus, what are the right words to say or whatever. What did, what did you say to the Lord at that time? Yeah, I mean, the, the breakdown didn't end in Joan's office that day. I went home, I went down to my basement and uh, just quietly alone, I got on my knees and prayed and just asked God into my life. I, I asked for forgiveness for all my sins, all the horrible things that I had done. Um, and asked for transformation and just asked for peace more than anything and um, asked for him to guide my decisions and guide my life and that I committed to do whatever his will was in my life. Yeah. And yeah. it was really just kind of laying down all my arrogance and my, you know, self-thought and I wanted to, to live for others, but mostly I wanted to serve him. Wow. Yeah. So it's a move from independence to wholehearted followership. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So at that time, I mean, you're still out of a job and you're looking vocationally for what you're going to do. And it seems like God says to you, Chris, do what you love, throw your heart into it. But ironically, the thing you loved was tattooing. Yeah. It's a, you know, it sounds weird to us. Like, wait a second. So God's telling you to become a tattoo artist. Yeah. So, so what is it about body art that you love and how'd you get good at it? I mean, there's no school for this, right? No. Yeah. It sounded weird to me too. Believe me. Um, God was telling me to go tattoo people, but, um, yeah, I, I did an apprenticeship a long time ago, and I always did it like as a side thing when I was doing my logistics career, but I loved it. I, I truly loved it because in my earlier part of my life, I was a, a very much an introvert, um, and I started getting tattoos on my 18th birthday because I wanted people to avoid me. Anytime people got close to me, they left, they died, they abandoned me, whatever, um, but I thought it was just a cool way to express myself outwardly without having to tell my story yeah. verbally. Yeah. 
Um, and I, I've always loved tattoos. I've, I've loved kind of the, you know, the, the old view of it was kind of this bad boy thing. You know, when I started, it was gang members, bikers, and, and military that got tattooed. Now I'm tattooing doctors, lawyers, police officers, judges. Pastors. Pastors, yeah. yeah it's, it's really cool. It's, it's become a lot more accepted. And, and for those who aren't in favor of tattoos uh, due to their beliefs or just their personal choice, I totally respect that. It's not yeah. for everybody. Yeah. Okay. So we're going to talk about that for, for just a second because I knew that if we did this interview and we didn't address the topic of, doesn't the Bible say you're not supposed to do this, that I would end up getting irate emails <laughs> from people. So let me address the biblical side of things for, for just a moment. There is a scripture, an Old Testament law in the book of Le Leviticus chapter 9 verse 28 that says, you know, don't tattoo your body. So what do you do with that? Uh, well, actually, there are different kinds of Old Testament laws, and you've probably figured this out if you've ever read through the Old Testament. There are laws that are timeless. Uh, we refer to them as moral laws. Love your neighbor as yourself. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Uh, children, honor your parents. Uh, those never go away. Okay, those are moral laws for all time. Then there are some laws that are ceremonial in nature. Uh, they have to do with ancient Israel's religion or the religions of the pagans around them that they were supposed to resist. And, and so those laws, you know, like one of those laws is don't cook a young goat in its mother's milk. How many of you have practiced that this week? Uh, <laughs> that's one of those laws that's no longer in, in vogue today. So... Let me read to you what I wrote about this. This is my book, Context, How to Understand the Bible. So the verse itself in Leviticus says, do not cut your bodies for the dead or put tattoo marks on yourselves. I am the Lord. Well, Bible scholars hold two very different interpretations of this prohibition against tattoos. Some say that the tattoos in Le Leviticus 19.28 were part of a pagan grieving ritual in Old Testament times. That would make this a ceremonial law prohibiting participation in this ancient pagan ritual. So it would no longer be applicable today. But other Bible experts say that this law fits with a broader biblical theme. We've been made in the image of God, and so we shouldn't deliberately do anything that mars our body. That would make this a moral law, still valid today. So which is it, moral or ceremonial? Well, if you already have or would like to get a tattoo, you'll probably dismiss this law as ceremonial. But if you favor caution, uh, you might want to interpret this as a moral law and stay out of tattoo parlors. So how's that for dodging the issue and remaining friends with all my readers? So <laughs> you could probably tell if you, you know me and you've seen my tats that I see this as a a ceremonial law having to do with an ancient pagan rite, and so no longer applicable today. But I will say this uh, for those of you who are considering a tattoo. Just a couple of tips here. Uh, one is, if you're still living under your parents' uh, roof and they think it's not a good idea for you to get a tattoo, then it's not a good idea. Uh, because I'll tell you what the moral law says. The moral law says children honor your parents. Uh, second thing I'd say, say to you is, uh, be really careful what you put on your body because you're going to wear it for the rest of your life. Unless you have Chris, remove it at, <laughs> at some point. So, you know, I, I, I'll never forget reading a story about a guy who's, whose team was going to be in the Super Bowl, and before the game, he had their name, Super Bowl champions, tattooed on his arm, and they lost the game. So, you know, you don't want to tattoo a name of your girlfriend or whatever because it may, you know, things change. 
Uh, and then the last tip I'd give you is, if you're a follower of Jesus, be careful that what you put on your body honors him. I'm not saying it's got to be a Bible verse, but it, you want something that would, you know, show the fact that you're a follower of, of Christ. So you don't want something demonic or, right. or whatever. So, Chris, back to, back to you and your, your story. So you get into tattooing, but you're not just putting tattoos on people. You're also beginning to remove them. And one of the groups that you're removing tattoos from are ex-gang members. So tell us, why would an ex-gang member want their tattoo removed? Yeah, a couple of reasons for that. I mean, first and foremost, when, you know, when they're a part of that gang, they have their tattoos on their face, their hands, their neck, because they want it to be known. They want people to know who they are and who they're associated with. But when they make that very difficult decision to leave that life, the first thing they want is to get rid of that. Um, and I've had people, I've had former gang members come into the shop and they've told me um, very almost flippantly, you know, hey, I've been shot four times. I'm like, geez. They're like, yeah, I've been shot twice while I was an active gang member and twice since I left because I have the name of my gang on my arm and they don't know if I'm active or inactive. Um, so it's, it could be a death sentence walking around with that visible tattoo. Another reason is it's very difficult to get a job if you have these tattoos. Um, people know what they mean. I mean, I've had people tell me with gang tattoos on their face, they're like, I couldn't even get a job at a car wash uh, drying off cars. And, you know, so it's it's... Really, you know, 2 Corinthians 5.17 is the driving force behind this ministry. And, you know, therefore, anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. The old is dead and the new has come. Well, it's really difficult to live your life as a new creation when you're wearing the evidence of your old life all over you. Yeah, yeah. So, so when you surrender to Christ, he changes the inside. But if you're still wearing it on the outside, yeah. it kind of drags you down. Absolutely. Bit. So technically speaking, I mean, we, we, we all have heard that a tattoo is on you for good. You, you know, you go to the grave with it. So how do you get one of these suckers off? Yeah, we, we use a non-laser process called Tattoo Vanish. We've been using it for about eight years now at, at Inc. 180. And it's basically, it's a clear gel. It's saline solution and citric acid. So it's salt and lemon juice, basically. But we tattoo that gel into the old tattoo. It bonds to the ink and then the body rejects it over a two-week period pulls it up to the surface and the ink falls away. And it, it takes us usually between five and nine sessions to completely remove a tattoo. But what better than to have all that time with someone to listen to them and, and to share Jesus with them. Wow, wow. Tell us a story about an ex-gang member who had a tattoo removed. Yeah, I had a, a young man named Ivan just recently reached out to me and he was in prison. He was a former Latin king from Humboldt Park. And he had a, a huge crown on the back of his you know, neck below his collar line. And he came in and he said, I don't care if you want to remove it, cover it up, whatever you think. And he was telling me about how he'd given his life to Christ. And he was raising his two daughters on his own and was working hard and doing all the right things. You know, it's like, this is the stuff I love to hear. Like, this is what Jesus is doing in your heart. And uh, I actually did a cover up for him because he wanted to get rid of it right away. A cover-up I can do in one session. And it was really cool because I was able to do a tattoo of Jesus over the old Latin king symbol. <laughs> so it was like I was covering the fake king with the real king. Oh, cool. And it's just such a cool moment to be able to sit and minister to him. And he ministered right back to me too. Yeah. It was, it's a really cool thing. And you know, we tell people we're blessed because we get to watch Jesus transform people right in front of our eyes. 
but those people and their stories ministers right back to us as well. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my goodness. So another group that you do tattoo removal or you, you know, you change it around a, a little bit are those who, who've been victims of sex trafficking. Yeah. Now, why would they have tattoos related to that? So pimps and traffickers have taken um, up the practice of branding these victims with tattoos to mark them as property. Uh, we see things like barcode tattoos, uh, pimps' names, gang symbols, because gangs are trafficking people now too. Um, and they're always in high visibility areas, the neck, even the face, the hands. Um, so it's just a, a way that, another way that they mentally abuse them to hold them in place and, and show them you're not even a human being, you're just a piece of product I can buy, sell, and trade whenever I feel like it. Now, now when you talk branding, when, when, you, when we see a barcode like we just saw on the, on the screen, yeah. that, that doesn't like work with a barcode reader of... No, it's a, it's a question I get asked quite often. You know, I, people are like, I have a scanner on my iPhone. What happens if I scan that? Absolutely nothing. They're not, they're not um, functioning barcodes. It's just a, a visual symbol of your piece of product. You know, literally everything we buy has a barcode that gets scanned yeah. and we pay for it and go about our day. Um, but this is just a, a way that these pimps and traffickers hold them down. Wow. So, it's, it's a domination thing. Isn't it, it really it's a is. Power. It's, it's yeah. a mental abuse wow. side of things. Yeah. Wow. I, I want you to tell us the first part of Nicole's story because we got a little, yeah. little clip of how the story concludes, but set it up for us. Tell yeah. us about Nicole. So Nicole is, is an amazing survivor of sex trafficking. She, uh, she was sexually abused in the home at a very young age. In fact, her own mother would sell her to pedophiles at, at as, as an infant, a uh, toddler. And you can imagine what that would do to somebody. Uh, and over time, she just decided she was gonna run away from home. And she was out on the streets, cold, hungry. She was in Milwaukee. And one day, a, a pimp saw her sitting on the side of the road, uh, freezing cold with a sweatshirt up over her knees, just kind of sitting there. And he said, hey, do you wanna come with me? I'll give you something warm to eat and stay. and She's like, well, anything's better than being on the streets. And before she knew it, she was being trafficked. And she actually had three different traffickers that she was sold to, uh, six, you know, one after another. Um, and she had kids with one of her traffickers. Uh, one of the worst cases I've dealt with, her pimp was Alex Campbell uh, in Chicago. And he had 17 girls working for him. Nicole was one. And um, they were all rescued and recovered. And he's doing life in prison without parole. Wow. Well, now she had a child with him, and I want to set this video yeah. up right now. That part of his threat was, uh, you know, don't mess with me or you're not going to see this child, or why don't you just get rid of the child, leave him on the side of the road. And that's, that's where we pick up the story. Let's, let's watch this. Stings a little bit. There's a saline in it. And so now I had a child, and but it was also a way that he could manipulate me, because um, then he had my son six days out the week at a different house while I worked, and then I was allowed to see him on Sundays. It was my day off. And I would work 14-hour days now because that was the only way I could see my son. I had to make that quota every week to see my son.
said that my son was kicked out the family and that I wasn't a good mom anyway. And I got off the phone with him and I called the police immediately and I said, my pimp is telling me to leave my baby on the side of the road or at the police station or fire station. Can you please come help me and my son? We had no money or nothing and you could only stay at the shelter for six weeks. And so I used that time to go prostitute myself because I knew we needed money to get out in six weeks because then we were back on the street again. I didn't want to be that mom. I'd always wanted to be a good mom. I had, you know, heard about people in church saying, like, you know, when you dedicate your life to Christ, things will change, and he'll be your provider and stuff like that. And so I said, I don't know what else to do. God, I'm going to quit. I'm going to quit everything. I'll put that aside. I'll go back to the shelter if you just give me a new life. <laughs> give me a new life. <laughs> and he gave me a new life. <laughs> he gave me a purpose. He showed me that why he kept me alive. He showed me... <laughs> that there was a reason for everything that's ever happened to me. And he was going to use it. And so, that's who I am today. Wow. Isn't that tremendous? Um, I'll tell you, I, I've seen that clip six or eight times, and it never fails to bring tears to my eyes. Uh, if you'll go on Chris's website, Inc. 180, uh, you can access that. That was a document from a documentary done for TV, one-hour show, and uh, uh, many stories like Nicole's are woven into that. Uh, incredibly, incredibly moving. Uh, Chris, there's one more group that I want to touch on. So ex-gang members, victims of sex trafficking. There's another group. You, you don't take tattoos off of them. You actually put tattoos on because you're, you're trying to cover something up. What, what group is that? Yeah, it's folks that have dealt with self-harm or cutting. Um, and this was something I knew nothing about when I started the ministry. And one of my other tattoo artists, um, she had dealt with it personally and asked me one day if I would cover the scars on her arm. And uh, she explained to me what it was, and we had a great conversation during that tattoo. But yeah, we, you know, we cover those scars with something beautiful or remind them that, you know, they've been transformed. They don't have to be defined by those scars on their arms. Like Heather said, um, they can be defined by who they are now. Yeah. You know what I love about that? You know, the, the biblical symbolism here, we know uh, from what scripture teaches us that Jesus went to the cross, that he laid down his life for us. He took the death we deserve to die. And that still today in heaven, he bears the scars of what he did. So his scars aren't covered up. You know, we're saved by his scars and now you're in the business of helping to cover up scars. That's a pretty cool thing. It is an amazing yeah. thing to be able to do. Yeah. yeah. Really well, is. so you've been doing this for well, eight, nine years nine, since yeah. 2011. Uh, in that time, how many people would you estimate you have either removed or covered up a tattoo? Yeah, we just uh, celebrated our ninth anniversary in October. So every October we add everything up, and we've helped over 6,500 people for free. Wow. <laughs> that is fantastic. Yes. Yeah. And what, what percentage of your business is this free tattoo removal? So right, right now, it's 70% ministry work, 30% regular paid business. 
And, uh, you know, I went from a time in my life where I was making well over $100,000 a year and didn't appreciate it and didn't take care of that money to now making, you know, about $34,000, $35,000 a year. And I'm happier than I've ever been in my life. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's really an amazing blessing to be able to do this work. Wow. Wow. I, as I understand it, your tax accountant at one time figured out based on how much you charge for tattoos and whatever, how much business you've lost. What, what, what number did he put on it? Oh, well over a million dollars. <laughs> yeah. You and, but, you know, it's God's economy. I'm not storing up my treasures of this earth. I'm yeah. storing up my treasures in heaven. So wow. that's really what it's all about. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's so cool. <laughs> so this is, this has cost you financially. I know it's cost you emotionally. Mm. I mean, you, you regularly see a counselor, right, who helps yeah. you process all of the trauma that you experience secondhand in listening to people's stories. Yeah, I see a counselor every week, and it's probably one of the most important self-care things I do. Um, you have to offload some of this stuff because, like Nicole's story, these stories are so heavy. And for whatever reason, I kind of, I sit there and I listen. You know, one of the greatest gifts God has given me in doing ministry is how to actively listen to people yeah. and really care about what they're telling me and listen to their story. Um, but the, the drawback of that is you absorb a lot of that pain. And, yeah. and even some of the guilt of the men that hurt Nicole, you know, um, as a guy, it's, it's really... Yeah, feel slimed by it, don't you? You do. Yeah, you really yeah. do. And if you don't process that, like I tell people, if, if I don't get my counseling in and, and my prayer life isn't where, what it needs to be at the time, it affects how I, I minister to people. Yeah. yeah. So. Oh, wow. Chris, you, you had an opportunity. I mean, Hollywood came knocking. Yeah. And uh, they wanted to do a virtual TV show about Inc. 180 and what, and you turned them down. Yeah. So why, why did you turn down that opportunity for a little bit of publicity? Yeah. Well, when we did the documentary, it was um, really well received. It won a, a few Emmy awards and such. And the company that produced it actually approached Hollywood. I didn't. And uh, they said they wanted to do a reality series. And I'm not a fan of reality television because I think reality is the furthest thing from the, what it is. But, um, we went out there and we had meetings with, you know, Spike TV, MTV, TLC, all these networks. I think it was 10 or 11 different ones. And it was all the same thing. They said, you know, we love the, the work that you do. We love the clients and their stories, the transformation, the artwork. We love it. And, you know, the tattoo thing was real big and still is on TV with Miami Inc. and LA Inc. and all Inc. Master, which don't get me started. Um, but they said, you know, Chris, we, we know that Inc. 180 is your ministry work, but, you know, we kind of want to like downplay the ministry side of it. And I looked them straight in the eye and I said, you know, the minute that you take Jesus out of Inc. 180, there's really nothing to talk about. I'm just another tattoo artist doing tattoos you can't take Jesus out of what we do because he's the root, he's the core and the base of everything that we do. And at that time, you know, Duck Dynasty was kind of wrapping up and coming to a close. And they thought that they were doing those guys a huge favor by letting them pray for 20 seconds at the end of each episode. And I was like, man, if, if you're trying to tell me that I can't talk about Jesus and what he's done in my life and show what he's doing in my clients' lives, there's no reason to do this, so I'll pass. Wow, wow. Now, I've got one last question for Chris, uh, but I, I want to bring something home to us here. Yeah, Chris reached a place where he surrendered his life to Christ, and you just heard him say, you take Jesus out of things, 
and there's, you know, there's nothing left. And maybe you've never discovered that for yourself because Jesus has never been prominent in your life. He's never been central. And again, maybe you, you don't feel yourself to be a horribly bad person. Maybe you do. Maybe there are scars in your life, emotional scars, moral scars, uh, that you would love to be forgiven for. Uh, or maybe you feel yourself to have been a pretty good person, but the truth of the matter is you've not been a Christ follower. And so you've not loved God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, which the Bible says is the most important commandment. So the truth of the matter is we're all rebels. We go our way instead of God's way. That's the truth. And the trouble with that, friends, is that when, when we separate from God, when we disconnect from God by going our way instead of his way, God's the giver of life. He's the source of life. When you disconnect from the source of life, what happens? You die. Okay, and that death starts internally. It's a spiritual death. It's a broken relationship with the God who made you. But it continues and becomes physical death at the end of your life, and it becomes eternal death, eternal separation from God in the world to come. God loves you so much, he didn't want that to happen to you. God doesn't want death hanging over your head. He wants life. He wants to infuse you with life. So what he did, he sent his son Jesus to the planet, and Jesus died on the cross bearing the punishment for your sins and mine. The punishment? Death. That's why Jesus had to die. He took the death you deserve to die. But he didn't stay dead. He was raised from the dead and he lives today and he offers forgiveness and a brand new life to everyone who will surrender to him. But the operative phrase there is surrender to him. Have you ever surrendered to Christ? Have you ever reached that point in your life where you said, okay, I'm getting up off the throne of my life. I'm not going to try to be my own king, my own queen any longer. I want Jesus to be the king of my life. Have you ever embraced him in that way? In just a minute, I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that. To say, okay, this is, I didn't plan when I came here today or when I, I, I tuned in online. I didn't plan that this would be the day I, I surrendered to Christ, but I'm going to do it. Uh, I'm going to walk you through a prayer that will give you an opportunity to do that in just a moment. But Chris, one last question for you. Okay. Uh, one of the things I loved in watching your documentary uh, was the little ceremony you do with uh, victims of sex trafficking. Once they have that tattoo removed, you take them through a little ceremony. Tell us about that because that's so poignant. Yeah, we really want to put a kind of exclamation point on that whole process. And what we do is we take a picture of their old tattoo, uh, the tattoo that defined their old life. And we have them feed that into the paper shredder. And it's just kind of a, a way to put their flag in the sand and say, I'm no longer a victim, I'm a survivor. Yeah. And uh, we also painted a tree on an eight foot by eight foot canvas in the room where I work. And we call it, it's the freedom tree. So. After we finish removing or covering their tattoos, they can dip their hand in paint and put it up on the tree to portray the leaves of the tree, and they can write messages to other survivors as well. Um, it's just a powerful thing, and it's one of my favorite places to sit yes. and pray. Yeah, I think we got a picture. Yeah, there we go. Yeah. A picture, and that's actually an old one because I've seen a newer picture with all oh, sorts yeah. of hands. It, one of the, my happiest decisions was putting that on canvas so that we can actually take it off the wall, move it up to the front of the shop, and then start a new one. Wow. And we're about at that point right now where we're going to do that. So here's the deal. Here's the stinger to surrendering to Christ. God gives you an opportunity to go public with it, not to put a handprint on a tree for you, but to do what the Bible calls baptism. That's how you go public. 
And we got a baptism coming up in two weekends. All right, and the way you, you get baptized around here is you say, yeah, I've made that surrender decision, and now I want to tell other people about it. And we've got a one-hour class that describes what baptism is. You could do it live or online. So just go to our website, ccclife.org, and you can read about the, the, you know, the final classes. We got one today, and we got one tomorrow. And so you'll, you'll need to go through one of those two classes and then get baptized two weeks from now. Put your handprint on the tree. Okay, tell the world, I've decided to follow Christ. He's the new leader of my life. Now, in order for that to happen, though, you've got to do the surrender thing. So I'm going to ask you right now, if you're watching online or you're gathered at one of, uh, of, of our campuses, would you just bow your heads with me? We're going to get real serious before God and make what is the most important decision of our lives. Here's the surrender prayer. If you've never prayed something like this, there are three really important words to this prayer. The first important word is sorry. See, there's got to be a change of heart. You've got to reach the place where, you know, you're not just adding Jesus as a bonus onto an otherwise good life. No. No, you're asking Jesus to come and change you from the inside out. You're saying sorry. Sorry for all the messed up, screwed up, things you've done. Sorry for all the years you've ignored his voice in your life. Sorry for the hurt you've caused other people. Sorry for the way you've torn your own character to shreds. You know, your selfishness, your anger, your lust, your greed, you know, you're bringing it all, all to God right now and you're saying, I am so sorry. I'll give you just a moment of quiet in your own words from your heart. Tell God sorry. The second important word in the surrender prayer is the word thanks. Okay, you just heard me say why Jesus had to come to earth, why he had to die on a cross. He had to do it for you. Now, maybe you heard that before, that he died on the cross, but you never realized, oh, I get it. He did it to take the death I deserve to die because of my separation from God, the giver of life. Ah, oh, Jesus, thank you. If you've never told him from your heart, Thank you for what you did for me. This is where you own it, okay? This is where you say, I understand it's for me. You, you want to be my savior. Thank you. So just tell him thank you right now from the bottom of your heart in your own words. And the third and final word that's really critical in this surrender prayer, you got sorry, you got thanks, and the final word is please. This is the, the, the word of invitation. Please, Jesus, come into my life today. Please take up the throne of my life. I'm getting off the throne right now. I'm putting you there. You're the king. Please teach me from your word. Make me a student of your word so I can learn what it means to follow you. Please put me in a community of people like, like the people who gather at Christ Community Church so that I can move in a Godward direction with my life. Please. So right now, ask Jesus, please become my king.
God, your word says that no one comes to you except you move in their hearts and incline them to do so. So those who prayed that surrender prayer online or in person right now, they, they prayed it because you were moving in their heart. You were, you were carrying them across the line, so to speak. So I pray that they would know the newness of being a, a, a creation made by you in the image of Jesus The old is gone, the new has come. May they begin to experience that in their lives in Jesus' name. Amen. We have a a special gift we love to give away to those who make this surrender decision. It's it's some helpful material, you know, that that will get you started in a relationship with Christ. You just took the first step, but but we want that first step to become a walk, so we come alongside of you. We want to, you know, help you in whatever way we can, so we've posted that material online, so if you go to cccclife.org forward slash next steps, next steps, you'll find uh, all of that material there for you. If you want, there's an opportunity for you to give us contact information if you want, Uh, and, and we would love to find out any way we can to help you grow in your new life with Christ. And by the way, if you're at an in-person service, we've got all of that material. We've actually got a hard copy of it at the back of every section where people are sitting in whatever campus, uh, whatever campus you're at right now. There's a table at the back of the, the section of seats, and on the table is a next steps packet, a you know, hard copy of that. So if you made that decision today to surrender to Christ, pick one of those up on your way out. It's free. We, we just, again, we want to help you in whatever way we can. We want to provide the relational support you need for a new walk with Christ. And Chris, I just want to say to you from the bottom of my heart, thanks, bro. Thank you. Yeah. Thank yeah. you, everybody.